0: Unique, yet common-sense opinions on sports, this is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this week's show, we talk to the man behind the greatness that is at Super70Sports on Twitter. He is Ricky Cobb, the man who engineers all that great, fun content. It'll be the third year in a row Ricky's been on the show. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. Meanwhile, how about the NHL Outdoor Games this year? Oh, my goodness gracious. Bingo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. they they hit a home run with that one Uh, or a hat trick. We should use hockey vernacular, if you will. You know, after years of doing these outdoor games with a tiny rink inside a giant football stadium, they did it the 18th green at the golf course at Lake Tahoe. And it looked like just splendid. With the trees, the water, the mountains with the white caps, the sunshine, which kind of played a little bit of havoc in the first game between Colorado and Detroit. They got off to the first period, but the sun was uh, causing havoc, melting the ice, so they delayed it until much later in the evening. And then the Bruins and the Flyers played on Sunday night. Job well done. You know, they want to bring back memories of, you know, kids growing up playing on the pond in the outdoors, which is, you know, way bigger in Canada than it is here, but it's a great flavor. And hopefully they'll be able to do this again with some fans in attendance. But I like kind of keeping it small and compact like that. And the beauty, you just can't be matched. So, uh, Hopefully, this is a trend. You know, wonder if they could figure out a way to do an outdoor hockey game in Florida, <laughs> beach and palm trees. Right? That would <laughs> that would definitely be a different look. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the man who is behind the greatness of at Super Seventy Sports on Twitter. He is Ricky Cobb. Ricky, thanks so much again for being here, man.
1: Jeff, it is always a pleasure, and I look forward to it. I don't know what you got in mind for me today, but I'm ready to roll.
0: Awesome, and of course, this is the third year in a row that we are doing this, so my goal is to make it this the tradition unlike any other, even better than the Masters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're uh we're starting to blaze our trail here. I think uh, I think we got to keep this magic going every year. I agree with you.
0: Yes, so last we spoke it was before uh the COVID pandemic uh overtook our country and uh, a large part of the world for that matter and um so in the last year it's been a year unlike any other. Um, what sort of differences have you seen in people how they follow uh, uh, at super 70 sports on Twitter uh, during this time?
1: Well you know first of all I guess I could just say that uh, it's been nice that the Twitter account has been you know sort of the core of normalcy of my life I guess in some ways over the year no matter how no matter how strange it's gotten or you know how how bubbled or locked down I've been at any point it's been nice to at least have the the Twitter feed to be able to communicate with everybody you know I think uh, I think really a lot of people have communicated to me that you know maybe they felt like it's meant a little more to them uh, over the course of the last year since uh, you know it's been a it's been kind of a boring uh, you know shitty period of time and I think that's pretty universally relatable so if If, uh, you know, a little bit of humor and, you know, what I do has has made it even just a fraction uh, easier for people to deal with the day-to-day monotony of this, that makes me happy.
0: Yeah, I tell you, I am one of those who fall on that camp as well. It was always great to have uh, that thing. I also kind of wonder, too, you know, when we had that period where there was no sports going on, there was a lot of nostalgia, a lot of replays and things like that, which really kind of fits right into your wheelhouse
1: yeah you know it it really does i i think when we when we you know got that pause button pressed on our on our sports intake and uh that was a bit of a jolt to the system i think for for many of us because you just take for granted that that sports are always going to be there for you you know when you when you need them when you want to flip on a game whatever it is you know you I think for, for many of us that have been sports fans throughout our lives, you just kind of, you just always assume there's going to be a game there if you want one. And then for the first time in, in my life, that's not the case anymore. And I do think that, uh, you know, as people were searching for uh, something to occupy the sports part of their brain, especially early in, in the pandemic, that it, I think it probably did turn some eyes to the, to the account.
0: Yeah, and, you know, that's one of those things, too, because I've always enjoyed your account as a, di- a diversion before, you know, all this disruption happened, and it was, to me, even a bigger blessing in that regard, because it was just something that, uh, you know, always always warms the heart, always provides a chuckle, and uh, that that certainly is a great thing.
1: Well, thank you. You know, I mean, I, I hope that the, the account has become, you know, I think it's become for Uh, you know, at least some folks uh, just kind of a comfortable part of the daily routine. And, you know, much in the way that I said, we we sort of expect sports to be there for us. I think that, you know, there are people who enjoy, you know, kind of the comfort food of knowing that, uh, you know, if you need – if you've had a rough day or things have been a little stressful – you know, you can you can usually count on Super 70s to have at least something there that'll, you know, for a few minutes anyway, maybe take your mind off of it.
0: Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I enjoy the most, too, is that, you know, particularly as, you know, big events in sports happen and and things like that, I love how you will pull something from the good old days and say it is better and that you will die on that hill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do... Uh, I do tend to use contemporary sporting events to pull up, uh, greatest hits from the past. And of course, what's better and and what's worse is, uh, largely a subjective exercise, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think the more time goes on, uh, you know, sometimes those moments that you remember when you're a kid or, or, in your adolescence, they, they they only grow in stature, at least in your memory.
0: Yeah, and you know some of the favorite th- things you do, particularly when when it's old football images, and it's stuff like you know when you know when they used to have automobiles in the background and <laughs> things like that, and that gives you some good material to work with.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really does, and I, I and I still haven't really cracked the case of why automobiles in the end zone area was so prevalent at, at various stadiums. But, you know, San Diego was one that frequently they would have cars on the field. Pittsburgh uh, was another one. There's a video that I've posted before of Lynn Swan, uh, you know, running uh, through the end zone on an overthrown pass, and his momentum is – taking him a few yards beyond the end of the end zone and he ultimately has to uh basically jump over the top of a sedan <laughs> that's parked really close to the end zone you know so i'm thinking today just just in terms of the uh mega investment that these athletes are we we probably ought to at least make the same effort to get the car out of the way that you or I would have made when we were kids and we were about ready to play backyard football, you know. You don't want to run into mom or dad's car either, and you definitely don't want to have it happen during an NFL game.
0: <laughs> yeah, no question about that. And you know, and you mentioned, you know, when you mentioned Len Swan, that brings another uh, uh, great player from the seventies to mind, who just got finally re- into the Hall of Fame. One Drew Pearson of the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, which was a crime that he had to wait so long for his opportunity. One of the things I always remember about nineteen seventies football. Uh, You know, Drew Pearson was a guy who made a living over the middle. And in those days, assault was probably light (laughs) compared to what happened on the streets.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, yes. Congratulations to Drew Pearson. I think I'm 49 years old. So, you know, when when I came of age as a football fan and for the first several years, uh, you know, that I was aware of football and becoming a fan, Drew Pearson was one of the elite wide receivers in the NFL. And I think sometimes younger people, you know, kind of forget how good those guys were because if you look at their numbers by today's warped passing game standards, they don't look like anything special at all. They're not even really good. They're not even good numbers for a slot receiver <laughs> uh, nowadays, and in a lot of cases. But Drew Pearson was really great, and I'm glad that I'm glad that he's going to be able to enjoy that honor while he's still with us. I always get always get a little pissed off when guys get elected to the Hall of Fame, you know, uh, posthumously. Particularly when you know it's guys like Ken Stabler in football, or or Ron Santo in baseball, where you know I felt like those guys clearly deserve to be there. And I would put Drew Pearson in that category. So I'm glad that he and his family can, can enjoy that. But you're absolutely right about going over the middle. I mean, Jack, you had Jack Tatum and, and guys like that, who pretty much just in a very, you know, uh, legal, legally sanctioned by the NFL way, you know, the NFL was far different in those days than, than it is now. And they, they just allow guys to pretty much obliterate uh, dudes that went over the middle. So, uh, you know, to go over the middle with a single-bar helmet, as some of those guys did, um, you know, Don Maynard played with a single-bar helmet and no chin strap. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to imagine the guts that it would take to to go over the middle and really focus on catching a pass when you know that you've got, uh, you know, the... The uh, the Mel Blounts and and uh, Jack Tatum's of the world, uh, you know, ready to just light you up.
0: And not only did the NFL sanction it, they promoted it. I mean, part they had video series about all those great great wicked hits and guys just you know getting knocked out cold.
1: Oh yeah, they did. They they made they made a lot of money selling videotapes of the most. Bone-crushing hits and whatever, and I've and I've tweeted about that before too. You know, saying that you know now rather than you know bone-crushing hits, volume number three. You know, it's called Men Engaging in Responsible Physical Activity, <laughs> Volume Three. You know, no targeting allowed edition. Um, yeah, and you know, look, I mean, I I don't think that anybody necessarily should be getting their brains scrambled for the for the slobbering masses. But at the same time, I think that those kinds of collisions, at least to some degree, are just part and parcel of what football was invented to be. And we're, we're trying to still play football um, probably on a slow, very slow losing battle. Um, in the future, I don't know how many... I don't know. I don't know how much longer kickoffs will be in the game, for instance. But um, it's not. It's not what it once was. But you know, I also hear a lot of the stories of CTE and you know, people whose whose uh, dads and grandfathers played in the NFL and had a bad go of it. So it's a it's a fine line. But yeah, if you. If you grew up on '70s and '80s NFL football, and certainly if you're older than that, it would apply. You know that much more so. It was just, uh, it was war, basically. And now we're now we're trying to make it something safer. And you know, I I uh, kind of grit my teeth sometimes on these roughing the passer calls that sometimes, you know, in essence decide games. Where you look at it and you think, well, oh, my gosh, when I was a kid, that nobody would have even considered throwing a flag, you know, on contact like that.
0: Yeah, no. In 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 yesterday's NFL, Tom Brady does not play at his level at forty three.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not, because he would have taken he would have taken a lot more abuse over the course of course of his career to get there. So you know, those guys are those guys are very protected and. You know, it's a star power league and everybody wants to protect their, their investments as well. So, you know, I understand why it is the way that it is. But if you gave me a choice between the NFL of today and the NFL of 1980 or 1978 or 85, uh, you know, it would be an easy decision for me. But then again, I'm not the one who's out there. Uh, you know, getting concussed either. In fairness,
0: yeah. You know, one thing that uh, was rough about the 2020 and the early part of 2021 was the the number of baseball Hall of Famers that uh, that we lost. And uh, in, in many of these guys touched the 1970s. Uh, when you look at Lou Brock, uh, manager Tommy Lasorda, um, Don Sutton, and of course the the king of them all, Hank Aaron. When you when you think about that uh, you know it really you know it it, it kind of hits people of our generation doubly hard, it seems,
1: oh yeah, big time, you know phil negro and and Bob Gibson as mm-hmm. well, yeah, um, and I feel like I feel like I may still be missing somebody, you know it's just there were so many major names from my childhood giants of baseball that passed away um this past year and It seemed for a while there like we were losing a guy every week, Mm -hmm. and I think we were, um, you know, for a period of time. So, um, you know, I just did uh, this uh, Topps uh, Super 70 Sports Curated set that came out late last year, and I think there were about six or seven guys in that set that passed away uh, between the time that I began working on it and the time that it was finally released, so yeah, it, 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 we're getting to that age. At least I am, where your heroes, you know, you're reminded that life really is temporary, and the people that you looked at when you were a kid as being larger than life. Um, you know, they're they're just men, and, and men grow old and pass away. So, yeah, it's it, it's really sad. As I as I kind of look at it, I, I you know, I hate to be grim, but you know, over the course of the next. Ten years, uh, you know. There's going to be a. There's going to be a lot of names that you know were were huge to me when I was a kid. That you know, unfortunately, are you know getting to be very elderly now.
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you. What, well, I like how you always phrase it, though when you when you put put your tribute out the super sky point to the sky. That's a that's a beautiful beautiful way to put it.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, that's the. That's the tribute that I try to reserve for these, for these guys, you know, especially the, especially the ones that, that meant a lot to me, you know, to just take a moment and try to celebrate their career. And of course, you know, they'll, they'll definitely have immortality on the super seventy feed because, um, you know, re- regardless of whether they're with us or not, you know, I'm, I'm certainly going to continue to reference them and, and, their achievements.
0: Yes, and I know you will probably be a thousand thousand percent behind me when I say Hank Aaron is still the home run king.
1: (laughs) I mean, uh, Barry Bonds was Barry Bonds was full of was full of all kinds of illegal shit. And I, you know, I don't think that I don't think Barry Bonds would have achieved the record on his own. Um, And it's a shame because uh, Barry Bonds is one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived clean. And uh, I think his ego got the better of him because he was watching... And baseball deserves a lot of the blame for this as well. But, you know, I don't think it's that well with Barry that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, players that he recognized correctly, are inferior baseball players to him. I I don't think that he likes sitting back and watching watching all the adulation they got. I will say this, jacked up on steroids, Barry Bonds is the best baseball player I've ever seen. Mm. You know, I didn't live in, I didn't live in the era. I don't remember watching, you know, Aaron, Mays, Ruth, whatever, but Barry Bonds jacked to the gills on whatever the fuck that stuff was that he was on. Um, That guy at his peak, the year he hit 73, I've never seen a human being. I don't know that a human being can hit better than that. Hmm. But of course, um, he cheated to get there. And I think that you know it's always important to remember that Hank Aaron is the true home run king, in my estimation. And until someone comes along and passes Hank and and Bonds, I, I will consider the home run record tainted.
0: All right, so, uh, you know, the 1970s, I know you, you know, besides doing sports, you also do uh, lots of uh, references and things from great movies. What would be your favorite movie from that era?
1: Um, gosh, my favorite movie from the actual era of the 70s, that's, that's a really tough question for me. I mean, the Bad News Bears is up there. Certainly, that's one of my favorites. I like Slap Shot. A lot if we're talking about um, you know films from the 70s that are, that are sports related. I think dazed and confused, although it didn't come out until the 90s is one of the better movies at kind of capturing the essence um, of the 1970s. So yeah, I would have to add that one even though uh, you know it didn't come out until 93, I believe.
0: So I was going to ask you. I know last time you uh, you were on, uh, you, we talked a lot about uh, your 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 fascination with the Brady Bunch and being one of your favorite shows and and everything. Did you happen to watch the uh, the the uh, the show they did when they redid the Brady House?
1: I have not seen it. I, I heard about it, and I was sort of aware that they. I, I don't know that the TV channel or whatever had bought the house. I I may have mentioned this last year, I don't know if we were talking about the Brady bunch, but I, I went by the Brady house in, uh, I think September of 2018. I was, I was out in Southern California and I made a point of, uh, looking up the house and finding it. And that was a, that was kind of a surreal thing to drive around the corner and feel like you were inside your own television set. You know, I, i walked up to the house and got a good look at it but greg greg and marcia weren't home unfortunately <laughs> but uh, but i think it's cool what they've done but i actually didn't i actually didn't uh didn't see that but um i heard that they were going to try to make the interior uh you know match the set uh from the tv show and so forth so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of like Brady Bunch nerd heaven right there.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely put that on your binge list, uh, and, and and I don't think you missed by very much from when they actually started to do the work on that. Um, yeah, uh, and, and it was very fascinating. They they managed to replicate it beautifully, you know, and they were able to like get uh, like certain items. Uh, uh, I forget which uh, item that the, the kids broke with a ball in the house, but they, you know, they, <laughs> they put out a call for people to, you know, do you have one of these? And people would send stuff in. I think they like one of the old refrigerators they had. <laughs> it was, it was phenomenal.
1: Oh, that's, that's outstanding. Yeah, I need to, I need to look into that. But, um, yeah, it was, it was trippy just to, I, you know, I, there was nobody there. I don't think anybody was living there at the time and it was before, it was shortly before they they started working on renovating it, I think, and so front porch, you know, got a selfie. It was it was pretty it was pretty weird, you know. There was <laughs> there was nobody else really around at that time, so I kind of had it to myself for five or ten minutes. So I I just kind of prowled around the outside of the house like a weirdo, but it was <laughs> but it was worth it.
0: Yeah, they had to do some uh you know some interesting construction so not to uh, affect the. Uh, the exterior uh, of the view of the house where, you know, they like built a a section kind of like into the ground and up. And then like the Greg's room in the attic was, was actually built down in the basement, Uh, but they replicated, but they replicated that perfectly. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool. So uh, you definitely put that, put that on your list. Besides the Brady Bunch, what other, what other uh, television show of that era was something that kind of spoke to you?
1: I, You know, I was a fan of uh, a lot of the P.I. and detective type shows of the era. You know, I would say probably um, after the Brady Bunch, probably my two favorite 70s shows are the Rockford Files and Columbo. So, um, you know, I like a good I like a good, uh, you know, a, a mystery or, you know, the cat and mouse game between. Uh, you know, these these 70s PIs and detectives and the uh, scoundrels driving, you know, enormous gas-guzzling cars that they had to uh, match wits with every week. So those those were some of my favorite kinds of shows.
0: Yeah, my wife and I have been kind of binge-watching the old Columbo stuff, and it's, uh, and, and it's kind of mentioning how you said that, because I always akin to him was like a cat playing with a mouse.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. You know, it's such an interesting concept where you know you have this you have this show where the uh, the the audience knows what happened at the beginning. You know, it's it's very genius and sort of flips uh, the way most shows work on their head. So yeah, the tension was always you you knew what they had done, you knew how they had tried to cover it up, and then and then here comes columbo and uh, you know you know that he's going to out with the person but you just don't know how he's going to do it and it, and it really is that cat and mouse game
0: yeah and i and i read somewhere that the the one more thing which he used a lot was actually they kind of stumbled upon that by accident because it, like in an early uh episode that uh, they had they didn't want to reshoot so they just had him film that part one more thing <laughs>
1: Really, so there you go, and they ended up with uh, one of the most famous uh, one-liners in TV history from that. Yeah, sometimes I guess things like that. It's funny how they, it's funny how they work out. But yeah, it's hard to imagine that show without him, uh, without him dropping that line. You know.
0: Yeah, and and so. You know, Super Seventy Sports obviously is you know uh, a great uh, thing about the seventies, and I know you delve outside of the seventies uh, here and there too, and and that's great as well. Um, so, what about things of today? Are there are there are there are there are the things are there TV shows and movies of today that, that that you find special and that you would equate to being as great as the good old days were?
1: Uh, you know, I, I find I find the older I get, the less I watch TV. Uh, you know, there's more options than ever. This is, you could certainly argue that this is, uh, you know, maybe a golden age of sorts for televised entertainment because when, when I was growing up, you really were limited. When I was really little, my first memories, you were really limited to the, the NBC, ABC, and CBS. And, you know, we, we would get the Kentucky Educational Channel, Uh, where I grew up. And then maybe you would get a couple of local channels that, you know, you might be able to catch a honeymooners rerun on or something like that. And that was really about all you were working with. And so um, I think a lot of us were consuming the same content, which is one of the reasons that all these years later, um, when I throw some of these things out there and refer to them, you know, there are references that many, many, many of us get because our culture hadn't really splintered um, in the way that it has, I think, nowadays, entertainment-wise. So, yeah, I'm so busy. I think, you know, I I, I think with kids and uh, career and always being on the phone, talking to somebody about something uh, business-related, as much TV as I used to. So people tell me all the time that they're they're binging this or they're binging that and I should check this out or I should check that out. And, um, I gotta say, I don't watch, I don't watch very much TV, uh, these days.
0: Now I know on uh, a lot of your posts, you have a lot of, a uh, uh, great stuff from wrestling uh, back in the day. Was that something that you were hooked on?
1: Oh yeah, I absolutely, uh, wrestling it was, was a passion of mine from the time that I was very small and, I still love professional wrestling. I I think that modern professional wrestling, for the most part, has gotten away from what once made it so good. I think a lot of it has become really silly. And I mean, look, I mean, it was silly in, in ways back then too, but it's just become something different now that I think has lost a lot of the charm that it that it had, but it, yeah, in the seventies and the eighties in particular, um, you know, those guys that were big stars in wrestling, whether you're talking about, you know, some of my favorites or Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, you know, of course, Hulk Hogan was, was the main guy probably in the eyes of most people. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge wrestling geek and, you know, even, even today, um, you know, I will, you know, watch old clips on YouTube and, uh, or pull up something on the WWE network. Uh, of the, of the limited amount of television that I do watch, an embarrassing proportion of it is probably pro wrestling related, Jeff, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs>
0: hey, that's okay. Uh, uh, you know, and I think back to those, you know, those days too, and I think about, you know, the time when I really realized. Okay, they're not really fighting. <laughs> you know that's that was, that was a kind of a, a unique thing. But you know when you when you heard guys like Gordon Soley, holy crap, you thought it was real.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I you know I I feel like that's maybe where things got lost. You know I I prefer my wrestling to be presented in a realistic, more realistic manner. Um, and you know the is I, I'm a big fan of Jim Cornette. Uh, the the manager from from back in the day, and now he has a couple of popular podcasts that I'm a pretty avid listener of. And uh, you know, he said the business used to be that uh, you, you, you didn't you didn't hurt each other, and uh, you made people believe it was real. And nowadays, it seems like um, so much of it is so far over the top that. It, it doesn't even have internal believability a lot of the time. And then at the same time, these guys beat the hell out of each other and do so many wild moves trying to play can you top this that, you know, guys actually are getting hurt, um, you know, while at the same time just sort of waving the flag that, you know, it's all, it's all phony. So I think the art form of wrestling uh, you know, at its best was kind of that that Gordon Soley era where, you know, it's just like a magician, right? Like if I go see a magic show, I know that it's not real, but that doesn't mean that I want to have all of the illusion explained to me. <laughs> and I think that back in those days, there was, there was enough intrigue uh, in in the presentation that, you know, sometimes you could convince yourself that certain parts of it were real, and I think that that was a lot of the fun of it.
0: Yeah, and I also think back to the grassroots days when you think of all the wrestling exhibitions they did that weren't televised. That <laughs> they had uh, an incredible zany schedule.
1: Low battery. Those guys would be on the road. I've seen the I've seen the booking schedule for the NWA World Champion from the 1970s and. It was true for many years. You know, those guys would be on the road 320, 330 days a year in some cases. And you're right. They're they're not on pay-per-view because there was no such thing. They were not uh, in prime time, uh, you know, wrestling on a major cable channel because that wasn't a thing yet. They were doing the vast majority of bump taking and and wrestling in smoky arenas, uh, you know, full of full of people. And the only people that ever saw those matches were the people that were actually there in the building. So, yeah, it was a you know, it was kind of like the Wild West uh, back in those days. And there's not a lot of video in some cases. And so a lot of the best stories about wrestling from when I was a kid, you know, tend to get they're the stuff of legend, you know. Maybe some of them are, are captured on grainy VHS somewhere, and in some cases, you know, it's like hearing about gunslingers. You know, you just have to imagine what happened because uh, there's there's no documentation other than memories.
0: Yeah, and of course, I, we talked about this last time. You know, one of my, my favorite uh, phrases of yours is when you uh, give somebody the ultimate sign of respect, you call them a sweet bastard, and I was you know and, and and I like to pick up phraseology to use in my everyday language, but you know you can't give somebody the compliment of being a sweet bastard in the workplace today, <laughs> unfortunately
1: <laughs> well, you know it, it's you you pro- you probably would want to be careful about that, yeah, I tend to find that a lot of the things that I say on Twitter probably wouldn't go over in most workplaces, which is one of the nice things about uh being on recently. We live in an increasingly PC world, Jeff. So, um, yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes these things we might not be at liberty to uh, to say it weren't. But uh, yeah, people people should understand that sweet bastard is a very uh, it, it's an honor when it's bestowed upon somebody. But uh, you might, but you know you probably rather not have to explain that to hr
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah see my my ultimate goal would be for you to call me a sweet bastard you see so I, that's where that's where i'm coming from
1: <laughs> oh well look you've had me you've had me on your podcast 3 years in a row so i think i think you're well over the the threshold so i so i'm going to have to say this so bottle it and keep it jeff allen you are a sweet bastard <laughs>
0: I got. It. I love it. Yeah, thank you very much for that, and of course, thank you for all you do on uh, uh, with your Twitter feed at Super Seventy Sports. It, it really is uh, s- such a great value of entertainment and uh, and, a- and a great uh, great way to kind of get away from all the stresses that go on in our everyday lives.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, man. I I hope that it is. You know, I have a lot of interesting things in the pipeline. I'm I'm hoping that 2021 will will be a big year for us last year was I think the the best year yet. We, we introduced the super 70 sports store uh, at super 70 sports store.com where, uh, you know, we've got a lot of t-shirts and gear that I think reflects the, the spirit and in sports and pop culture of, of, uh, the content that you see in the tweets and so that was really exciting but uh you know there are a lot of interesting things uh happening this year we're we're working on launching an all new super 70sports.com and um you know a few other a few uh i'm not at liberty to talk about but that are that are being developed in the background so i hope that i hope that people will stick with me uh, of course, you can count on the tweets coming every day, but I'm also hoping that uh, as we get through this year, uh, you'll start finding Super 70 Sports popping up in, in some other interesting places besides just Twitter.
0: That's outstanding. Of course, uh, anytime you got uh, something new to pop the cork on, uh, you let us know and we'll definitely be happy to help you spread the word.
1: Well, I thank you very much, man. It's always a pleasure to come on and talk to you. I look forward to it. Let's uh, let's continue this tradition.
0: All right, we will do that. Ricky Cobb from App Super 70 sports on Twitter. Thanks again for being here, Ricky.
1: Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it, brother. Keep doing what you do.
0: Hey, we will be right back to close out with our TV theme right after this.
1: No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and company in the morning, join me, 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. <laughs>
0: Great theme song from a series that I enjoyed particularly, Nash Bridges. Ran for six seasons on CBS from March 1996 to May 2001. 122 total episodes starring Dod Johnson of Miami Vice fame as Nash Bridges, an inspector and later captain with the San Francisco Police Department's Elite Special Investigation Unit. And, you know, he's in his 40s, twice divorced, dealing with a, a young daughter... Late teenage, and then would grow into her 20s during the run of the show. Daughter Cassidy played by Jody Lynn O'Keefe. And uh, Nash, uh, he managed to convince his retired inspector partner, Joe Dominguez, played by the awesome Chich Marin, to uh, return to force to partner with him. And uh, Nash and Joe, of course, they uh, run around San Francisco in that uh, yellow 1971 Plymouth Barracuda. The Cuda. Nash's father, Nick, played by James Gammon of Major League fame. He uh, has mild dementia and a habit of getting kicked out of nursing homes, so he ends up moving in with Nash and often causes some of the comic subplots in the series. And uh, and uh, I tell you what, the pairing of Don Johnson and Cheech Marin, uh, they, they were great, yin and Yang, very funny together. Also part of the cast uh, playing Harvey Leak, the tech-savvy guy, Jeff Perry, He's a middle-aged deadhead, as you know. A deadhead is a die-hard, grateful dead fan. For those who didn't know, and Evan Cortez, played by Javi P. Gomez, uh, he was kind of a kind of a loose cannon and had an on and off relationship with Nash's daughter Cassidy. So uh, Nash Bridges, our TV theme for this week. By the way, there was talk of a reboot, at least in movie form, uh, back in 2019. John Johnson said they were going to do a movie on USA in 2020. And of course, you know, 2020. So that's kind of been delayed and haven't heard anything else on that. But uh, the movie will be hopeful of rebooting the series once again, which I think I'd be in favor of. Uh, one of my favorite, Nash Bridges. Once again, thanks to Ricky Cobb of Super 70 Sports, lending his uh, wonderful content to our show today. And with that, we are done here.